Axel Sift is proudly supported by the Murdoch University School of Arts. And if you're looking for a creative degree, maybe in games, maybe in journalism, maybe in film, or you want to mix and match between any of those fields, uh, they might have what you're looking for. Uh, If you're keen to learn more, you can head to the Murdoch website. That's murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts to find out what they've got on offer. So murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts. Tell them that Pixel Sift sent you there. We're proud alumni of Murdoch University and really appreciate the support that Murdoch University School of Arts have given us over the years. Pixel Sift. Hello and welcome to 150 episodes of Pixel Sift. This is episode 150. It's a show dedicated to the people who work creatively in the games industry in Australia, in New Zealand, in Southeast Asia and around the world. Now, it's a big milestone for us. Uh, We started this thing back in 2015. So over the five years we've been doing it, we've spoken to 185 games industry guests on this podcast We've spoken to 116 people on the show floors of the four years of PAX Australia that we've been there and made countless friends along the way. So just to kick off, I thought it'd be really nice to say thank you to everyone in the games industry who shared their time with us uh, and shared their stories of what it's like to actually make games uh, over the last years. A lot of things have changed. A lot of things have stayed the same, but we really appreciate that you have shared your story with us over these 150 episodes. And I'd like to thank a big thank you to our current team. Uh, so that's James Morrison, Mitch Lowe, Scott Quigg, Adam Christou, Daniel Ang, Jason Head, Vivian Thumb, Sarah Island, Fiona Bartholomeus, uh, and our past contributors, Nick Byrne, Brian Fairbanks, Vaughan Hunt, and Kyle Dublin, who've all helped us make this show. Now, my name is Gianni DiGiovanni. I'm the executive producer of Pixel Sift, and tonight my guest uh, and my friend and my co-host is Fiona Bartholomeus. Hello, Fiona. Hello. It's very exciting to be on episode 150, and we've got a great esteemed guest on the show. Uh, this milestone episode, it's Matt Ditton, who's the CEO of Mighty Games. Uh, and Matt, thank you so much for being a part of this episode. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. This is a, it's an impressive milestone for you. Well done. Thank you. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really exciting. And we're really looking forward to hearing a bit about your creative journey uh, over the years, where you've kind of been, where you've gone to, where you are now, and what it feels like to make games in 2020, which is very, mm. very challenging. Yeah, like Johnny <laughs> said, so Shooty Skies and Mighty Games have been the pinnacle of Australian game industry for a very long time. So it's fitting that we have you on for our 150th <laughs> episode. So we'll be chatting a bit about uh, Shooty, Shooty Skies Overdrive and how Mighty Games got their start. All right. Shall we get into it? Australia's best video game podcast. Subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and wherever podcasts are found. So our guest this evening is Matt Ditton, who's the CEO of Mighty Games, uh, here to tell us all about their brand new game, Shooty Skies Overdrive. Now, people might know what Shooty Skies is. They may have, if they've picked up a phone in a long time, they would have definitely seen it pop up at some point. But Matt, can you tell us what is Shooty Skies Overdrive? Give us a bit of a a rundown of, of what it all is. 
Well, okay, so we we made the sequel to Shooty Skies, uh, but we made it for the Oculus Quest. So it's a it's a VR experience. Uh, it's available on the Quest and the Rift, and soon to coming to Steam. And it is a bullet hell shooter in VR. And people like people have called it like manic tai chi, where uh, you're basically stuck. You know, you're you're transported to the world of shooty skies in this like uh, voxel like '80s sort of like environment where. Uh, the way we think about it is like the internet came alive and wants to kill you. And uh, you have Shooty Cat and all of Shooty Cat's friends uh, on your hand. And uh, your goal is to keep Shooty Cat alive and take out all the enemies that want to shoot you. Yeah, it's fun. So Shooty Skies, if people kind of haven't come across it, it's sort of a, a sort of an infinite scrolling shooter, similar to games uh, that people might have played like 1942, the arcade era. Is that a fair sort of... Sort of assessment yeah of totally like i've i've always been a big shmup fan mm. and uh yeah when we when we were sitting down originally and thinking about like okay what do we want to what what's a good game to make back in you know 2015 before, when we were releasing shooty like one of the big things was that we, i was a big fan of shmups and so it was like can we make a can we make an endless shmup can you make a game that's like you know, kind of procedural, kind of varied, like it's got a whole bunch of weird stuff in it. And then can you make it funny? Like that was always the big thing of like dumb jokes are a, are a big thing at Mighty. Like y- you can't go wrong with a pun. And um, yeah, so we wanted to make something that was like stupid and funny and then make it a bullet hell. So like take something that's, generally a kind of like hardcore gamer kind of experience, but then try and make it for everybody, which is a great, you know, it was a good sort of design challenge. It's interesting because yeah. I think about those arcade games when I used to play them, and a lot of the way that they sort of play out is that sort of push mm. to get you to put another 25 cents in, another dollar or whatever, and a lot of the gameplay is sort of centered around that, and you're challenging yourself, yeah. but it's also designed. How, do you, how did you sort of think about that when you were bringing it over to a mobile uh, mobile platform and playing the game that way. Oh, look, I th- I think um, like it's interesting the design differences between like the mobile version and the and the VR version because like when we did the original mobile version, it was it was free to play. It was like we wanted to build it for absolutely everybody. If you had a phone, you could play the game, and we didn't want the price point to be a barrier. So it was really about like this thing is free and we want everybody to enjoy it. And um you know, so that actually works really well with this notion of like coin op arcade kind of, you know, feed coins in to like get to get to the next level kind of mechanic. Like they've they've got a lot of similarities those those sort of design choices. Um and so really it was about like these like fast burst bits of gameplay that um were were compelling but punishing, but you wanted to keep playing more, and then it would kind of like slow unlock stuff as you went. And then along the way, we just showed you a whole bunch of ads. So, yeah, that was. <laughs> That's how you pay for it. Yeah, it was the style at the time. Yeah, yeah you know, people were really into ads. Yeah. 
So what made you decide to bring Shooty Skies into a VR world? Because they're very different platforms to me, just having it on your phone and then having something that's very immersive. Yeah, yeah look, um, look, I have to, I really have to take my hat off to uh, my friend uh, Matt Hall because, um, like, I I played VR stuff and I I'd, I'd really liked it, but like he'd played VR stuff and he, he was like an original DK one, you know, backer. Like he was, he's a true believer. And, um, he'd always wanted to make a VR title. And I thought VR would be a kind of cool thing to do one day. Um, but there was this, he, he turned up and, and gave me a, gave me a go at the Oculus quest. And cause I, I used everything. I like, I tried the vibe and I tried a lot of it and I was like, oh yeah, this is actually all pretty cool. But then I tried, I basically tried the quest. And at that point, because it's such a unique platform, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have cables. It, it, it's, you know, inside out tracking, you know, there's no base stations or whatever. You just like put it on and then you just, you're there and you play it. Like it's so, it's the promise of what mm. VR was always meant to deliver. Right. So that kind of like, that solved the hardware problem. And then, and then we were thinking it'd be cool to make something. And then Matt was like, have you ever played Zortex? And so we, he, you know, I went and played Zortex in the lab in, in this, this, you know, it's, it's, it's a very old title, you, you know, it's hidden away in the steam lab and it's a, it's a very rudimentary, simple bullet hell. And he was like, you know, if you took Zortex, but then you made it shooty, that could work. I was like, it's not a stupid idea. Like, <laughs> let's give that a try. And so, yeah, we, it was a, it was a gag. Like fundamentally we did it as a, as a weird experiment where he called me up one day and he was like, try this out. What do you think of this and this? And it was like, ah, might work. And so, yeah, it was one of those things where we, we originally set out to just see if it was a good idea. And then it just kept being a good idea for like, 10 months and then we released a game like that's pretty much that's pretty much how it went we were like this works it looks really good we took it to we took it to pax last year and um pax australia and um yeah people liked it and played it and had a great time and then we were like all right yeah we just have to finish this thing let's do it let's make a great game so yeah we just it it was one of those strange things where we're like we never originally set out to think Yes, this is how this is exactly how the sequel to Shooty Skies should be, but we we just accidentally was like, actually, this is what the sequel to Shooty Skies should be. Like, you should go to three D. It should be immersive. VR is great. Let let's let's just double down and do it. What, so, what did you keep you know. um, between that experience uh, and bring it to VR? Like, what is the I guess the quintessential quintessential Shooty Skies experience that needed to be brought into VR? And what did you have to do? Well, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a few things that were very particular. Like, like it's got a look. You know, Shooty Skies is this voxel kind of art, and and you know the 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 effects uh, are very particular. And so we wanted to really maintain that aesthetic. Like that was an important thing. And so finding ways to finding ways to double down on that was like super important. But then the other thing that the other thing was very particular was the, the wave design in the game was like uh, oddly specific. 
So, so Shooty, the original Shooty, you know, it's a shmup, but it's a fairly unique shmup because it's actually, um, like, it's actually random and it's actually like this procedural random. And so the, that's a very strange thing in, in the history of shmups. They're usually like pretty, you know, they're des- like bullet, bullet hells are designed so that you kind of massage muscle memory to like understand how to get through the level. Like memorizing Whereas, the waves is what I used to remember to do. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Whereas shooty is about you memorize the the enemy patterns that appear, and the enemy patterns will change. Like they'll they'll change the order will change, but their behavior is consistent. And so you kind of create this like, um, you know, it, it's far more about the dodging than it is about the shooting, really. And so that was like that was the big thing. It's like all right, well, when this gets into three D and I can move up and down and backwards and forwards. How do how do we make sure that like it's really about the dodging, you know that that's the key. Like if you can just dodge long enough and you take your time, you you can defeat anything. That was that was the most important kind of thing. And so there was this weird there was this weird constant iteration that we had, which was about like all right, there's, are these bullets working? Does this wave work? If you put all these things together, does it feel right? Yeah, so the, the you know the team did a massive amount of like iteration of like, does this feel good? Do we keep playing it? Does this work? It's like, oh, that that sucks, <laughs> you know. Oh, this works. So, yeah, that was really the kind of that was the big thing it was like this strange bit of like wave design that was just sort of in, really integral. So, and, and speak- but it's also the stuff that no one would really look at. Like, like you wouldn't, you everybody just goes, oh yeah, it's just about voxels. It's like, well, yeah, sure, but but it's actually about this like feeling as you play it. So yeah, you've well, mentioned dodging a bit there. Is is that meaning like dodging physically? You have to avoid everything. Yeah, yeah. It's it's you know it's like like the secret of the game is like shooty cat is in your hand. And you you just have to keep shooty cat alive. So you just have to weave. You got to do this like slow motion weave through all of these bullets that are that are kind of coming at you. And it's about like what's what's completely unique in VR. And the thing that makes VR like just perfect is uh, sort of spatial awareness, like understanding depth and how far this thing is away from you and where this thing is over here. And so you so. What's brilliant about that is for a bullet hell, it's perfection because you just you just have this like this area in which you kind of do this bizarre dance of of the character, and yeah, it was cool. It was, it was That's great. That's the Tai Chi element, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, because because you want you want to create these moments of like frantic chaos, and then like okay, yeah, I I, I have total mastery of of what's going on, so. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> but there is also a seated version, well, a seated gameplay version. What's the difference between st- standard and seated? Well, it's 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 really so. So the Oculus has this guardian, right? And so you 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 can define the region of play where you want to like experience the game, and the guardian is really about this like area around you that is like where your hands and your face is going to be. And so if you see that you've got this like one meter space, but then if you're in a room, you can just, you can make it the size of a warehouse. And so what we tried to do was sort of use the guardian spacing 
to kind of influence like how much how much the enemies are going to start targeting towards you. So if you actually have a lot of space, um, actually moving becomes a large part of the game where you do you start to duck and weave and like crouch down and move around. But you can do the whole thing seated down, like seated, kind of like moving your hand and these like weird motions. So it was a very hard balance. Like it was mm. an oddly difficult problem. So. Yeah. One of the things about bullet hells, whenever I've played them, they get to a point with an intensity that is really like can be quite stressful unless you get into that nice little flow state. But as you're learning to yeah. play it, it can be tricky. And I imagine people learning a bullet hell in VR could be quite yeah. confronting. How did you sort of balance that out? Oh, uh, I, I, it, it really came down to pacing. Like, like, uh, like, you know, I mean, I think the audience is out as to whether or not we've kind of nailed it like people are happy and people like the game it's reviewing well um but i think there was this case of like you know you need to make something that when you die it doesn't feel punishing like it feels like oh yeah okay i understand why i can i can i can solve that problem next time so you want you want this like you want this like real satisfaction in the gameplay where where if something goes wrong you understand how to fix it next time so that you can get better. And if, and if you can achieve that, then it's like, okay, now it's about like, go easy on saturating the player with lots of difficulty, you know, like space that out. So it's like, you know, you really just want these moments of relaxation where you feel like a total master and then you want the chaos to set in. So you have to kind of like, you know, frantically run around the room and avoid stuff. Yeah. Took Wait. a while. <laughs> I can I can imagine it, but obviously it was fun over that ten months. You sort of said that you were kind of working on it. Um, when yeah. when the original Shooty Skies came out, it kind of landed at a moment where mobile games were basically having this nice sort of real great moment, really to be. Mm. And, and and do you think that yeah. VR is at the same point now? Is that part of the reason why you you made this sequel in VR? Has it reached that point for you? Oh look, I. I think the inter- the really interesting thing about VR is that um, like it's always been a really interesting platform, but as a platform, it was it, it had this limitation of technology. You know, there was a there was a bar you had to hit. Like you needed like base stations and a giant graphics card and you know, you, you needed a high level of technical knowledge to kind of settle this stuff up. And that like that was a ba- that's a barrier that's a barrier for an audience to get over but when the when the when the PlayStation VR came out like that was that was a pretty impressive moment where it's like yeah you've got a PS4 so just plug this thing in what do you know you've got a VR headset and it's like all of a sudden um all of a sudden people are able to play this and understand what it is and you're like oh it's it's just widening out that market and then when the when Oculus brings out the Quest, it's like this thing standalone. Everything is—it's got a high quality bar. It's really well curated. Um, the hardware is really great. Things have to be made for this piece of hardware. Um, and you've got this like, well, that's just—that's a console. Like that's a platform. Like I know how to build something for a console. And that's—that's that's like this first step towards like a future of VR consoles that are really like. Yep, I can make something 
I can put it on this console. I know that people will experience it and have a great time. So it's it's actually like a really great like beginning point for VR. In, in my mind, in my mind, like I always like a thought, standard like set of stuff. hardware or something like that. Is that kind of what you mean? Rather than say, you know, if yeah. you're building for the Rift or you're building for, you know, the original Oculus, you kind of had to rely on a variety of different hardware setups at home. Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly right. And so you you know you you kind of run this problem then where like you really because people are on desktops and they they've got fantastic graphics cards, you really just want to push it because because you just want to give everybody everything. But then you, you hit the problem where it's like, not everybody has everything. So, you know, your shaders go through the roof, your textures go through the roof, your load times get really high. And then people have to just tweak a million settings to like, feel like they don't have the best version of the game. And that's, that's always a bit disappointing. Whereas you, when, you have a, when you have a console, it's like, yeah, I just play a console and I get the version of the game, which, which to a certain extent I think was, one of the great things about you know mobile sort of like five or six years ago when uh particularly in australia we had all these studios that um were dealing with consoles and they were they were sort of like understanding these like we build it for this platform and this is what we do and then all of a sudden it's like oh well the platform is a phone ah right okay so i just have to make it to work on this phone and then and with those constraints um you end up having like and this like explosion of Australian talent of people that can make really great stuff that's like really compelling and interesting, and and yeah, m- maybe I hope VR is is doing the same kind of thing now. So yeah. So with Shooty Skies Overdrive being quite successful, are there any plans for turning any of the other app games you've worked on into VR? Piffle VR. <laughs> We've joked about it a few times, but. Just, it's just a lot of cats getting thrown at blocks. <laughs> so, which is well in our wheelhouse. Like, we're, we're a fan of cat-based humor. It sounds goofy. Um, it sounds like it would be good. That's true. Yeah. I mean, you know, it ticks a few boxes. Yeah. Um, but but I, think, I think to make something really good, you, you have to somehow find, the, find that great hook, that good little piece of interaction that, like, is really super satisfying. So yeah, like the the Tai Chi, Tai Chi bullet hell dancing is like a great VR hook. Like it's like yeah, you you can't have this experience on anything else because it makes sense here. So if I can figure out some, if I can figure out the Piffle VR hook, yeah, totally, we'll bring that across. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about, I guess, Mighty Games? Does it feel like it's in a position now where you can have this sort of experimental sort of release? Because VR is still an emerging technology. I think a lot of people would sort of agree mm. with that. Um, but you, you're now at a place where you, you are able to, to make a game like Shitty Skies Overdrive? Oh, look, um, it's it's not simple. And it's, um, you know, the, 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 the kind of truth of... Australian independent game development is really a kind of, you know, it's this story of like scrounging and figuring things out and being very scrappy with um, the way that you work. So like, you know, Mighty is actually a very complicated company in that it makes games and it it actually does this like build and test um, software as a service for different companies. And then it also does, you know, serious games kind of contracting. So it's really got this like, you know, three different arms and each one kind of feeds into the other. So we're not, you know, 
even though it looks like, yeah, totally, we just made this Shooty Skies game and everything's great. It's like, well, actually, to make that Shooty Skies game, we had to do all this other stuff. And then, you know, Film Victoria helped us out. And then Matt Hall as ClickTok kind of helped us out. And so there's this kind of like juggling of like, you know, keeping plates in the air to like kind of find a way to make all this stuff. But I think that reality is pretty common for a lot of Australian developers. You know, you kind of like, you, you, you run up against this barrier of, um, you know, you don't have infinite money and infinite contacts. So you really have to find a way to like, you know, express what you want to do and like find a great hook in, mm-hmm. in, in what it is so that it communicates the goal of like, yeah, we've made this game. We think it's really great. Let us on the platform. Awesome. You know, those, those kind of, those kind of conversations and figuring out how to, how to make those kind of games is, is it's kind of a, um, it's like it's, it's, it, you always get nervous when you're trying to make it all work. So there's not, there's not this magic moment where it's like I get to sit back and just smoke a cigar and go, <laughs> yeah, today, yeah, today we're going to build something for a fantasy Make me a VR game. Uh-huh. Make me a PlayStation right. 5 game. Um, so does right. it still feels like a hustle then to you? Does it feel like you're still sort of juggling a lot of stuff even though you've had a number of really quite successful releases? Oh, look. I've always thought that games are a hustle. Like, there's no, um, it's, it's, it's all, it's a really interesting business. Like, um, like I find it really, really fun, and and I find it very interesting. But at the same time, like I, I've always viewed it as, you know, it's a business, and there's there's 13 people at Mighty, and everybody's got a wage, and we've got to, I got to find a way to pay everybody, and you want to make sure that everybody's got everything they need, and you know. You know, that paycheck's got to be there every week. So there's a definite kind of, um, you know, you got to, you got, you know, as, as much as everything is fun and we try to make something that's great, it, you know, you, you got to run it seriously. So, yeah, it, like, it's a hustle, but I wouldn't change it. Like, it's a good hustle. Like, you know, yeah. Uh, let's go back a little bit to the beginning for you, Matt. Uh, when did you sure. first start get your starting get the games industry? Uh, well, my first job in games was um, in January of 2000. I uh, interviewed as an artist at Chrome Studios, and uh, John Passfield and Steve Stamadiatis uh, interviewed me with Rob Walsh. And um, they needed someone to make background assets for Championship Surfer. And um, I think I got the job because I was very cheap. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think I think that like if that if we're if we it wasn't I don't think maybe it was maybe I was funny. And I distinctly remember I remember John and Steve from when I was in high school. And I remember them from the comic store, uh, which was Comics Etc. back in Brisbane, the best comic store. Um, so I remember them coming to the comic store and I was a kid and I was like, oh, yeah, those guys made Halloween Harry. I pirated that game. And so so I remember telling them that joke, like, yeah, 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 I pirated your game. Not in any way understanding that, like, yeah, I, I stole money from you. Sorry about that. <laughs> but but um, 
somehow that enamored them to me and uh, they gave me the job. But I don't think that was actually a special thing because back in, back in 2000, um, uh, no one wanted to work in games. It was just like, there was just, there was nothing around. There were no schools. There was no, there was no university degrees. It was just like a bunch of scrappy morons who decided, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're really into figuring out how to make PlayStation one titles or things for the Dreamcast. Um, and yeah, so I, I got my first, I got my first run there. I stayed there for five years. I was making background characters for, uh, championship surfer i did all the rubber duckies in the arcade mode which was great and um then i worked on tie the tasmanian tiger uh, version one two and three um i was the background artist and then i was like a lead artist on that for all the way through and um i distinctly remember i i actually came up with the idea of the boomerangs that is which is a pretty integral part that's right. That's right. I was, I was, and that again is like pure luck of me being in the room when the conversation happens of like, yeah, we need this character and it needs like a, needs like a up close attack and then a ranged attack. And I'm like, oh yeah, just throw a boomerang. It's like <laughs> done. And you know, so, and, uh, and then in 2005, like I, I went and moved to, um, pandemic and started right at the very tail end of destroy humans and then i was doing the tech art for um destroy humans too so yeah and that's when i met um like morgan and dan and sean from defiant and um got to know like a bunch of other people around you know brisbane scene and um yeah i was there all the way through till we kind of like shut the doors Mm. in the gfc in 2009. Because it was a real so, moment, really, because Australia had quite a lot going on. We had a, were really competitive. We had a number of studios all around the place. But then the GFC yeah. came through and a lot of people were then kind of, I guess, scattered to the wind and have kind of done. What did that feel like at that moment? Uh, you know, you'd worked your way up. You'd put, sort of been in the industry for a while yeah. and then all of a sudden it's gone. Your job's gone. Look, it was, it was, uh, it was a pretty devastating situation. I mean, the thing that you know the the alien idea now is that at the time brisbane had like four or five sort of major studios with uh, hundreds of people sort of working in them and at its peak like pandemic had like a hundred and i think 85 people across two teams and you know chrome um Chrome was the biggest company in Australia, like in the games industry. It, it grew to about 400 people across. Um, it had a, a like a Brisbane, Melbourne, and Adelaide office. Like it was, it was just, it was insane. And then on top of that, they were actually like outsourcing a ton of stuff to various studios all over the country. So it was like, you know, everyone had so much work on that there was just um, there was just this like huge problem of like how do we just oh my god how do we just get all this work done so it was a, it was a completely different world and then in the space of like you know you kind of watch this slow motion train wreck happen for 12 months and um yeah the whole country just kind of fell apart um and it was it was like it was it was tragic like it was just a, a horrible situation and you know a lot of people picked up and they moved and you know um, multinationals were surprisingly good that way and that if you worked for them in one place you could kind of interview and go work somewhere else so 
there's a lot of Australians that are overseas now that have been there for, you know, 10 years since the GFC. And they're like, you know, integral parts in major companies. Um, you know, like Rob Davis is a great example. Like Rob Davis did all this work on uh, the latest God of War. And um, he's an amazing guy. But I remember him at Chrome as this like, you know, shit-kicking level designer. And then he went to Pandemic and was a shit-kicking level designer there. And then, and then you know, that all falls apart. And then Rob goes off to Santa Monica and, you know, grows into this amazing kind of, you know, triple-A um, game developer. And that's that's just, that's actually the story of a huge amount of Australian talent. It's like, Australians are very good. Like, we're, we're very smart and we're, we're very talented. And, um, yeah, it turns out that we have these skills that work around the world. So um, Was that a temptation yeah, when for the G- you yeah. to, to pack up and head overseas? Uh, yes and no. Like, um, you know, I, I grew up in Brisbane and I was so incredibly lucky that um, the Brisbane industry kind of grew up at the time when I was, you know, looking for my first big job in the industry and then it kind of grew as I grew. And so I was incredibly privileged um, to, to get that opportunity. Um, but I didn't necessarily want to kind of, you know, I didn't necessarily feel that my, my adventure in Australia had, had ended. It was kind of like, okay, well, this is pretty, this, this is a different kind of scenario. Like, maybe there's a different way to make games. Like maybe I can still do all the stuff that I really love, but I can still do it here. Um, and then, yeah, it was like, it was a, it was a very interesting time because it was this, you know, mobile had just started, like the iPhone had just turned up and that felt amazingly revolutionary. And that felt like, you know, maybe you could just make something and put it on this phone. And then maybe you could just make money and fruit ninja happened. And, you know, I can remember, I can remember half brick when they were outsourcing to Chrome, like Chrome was outsourcing to half brick. And, um, I remember Chanel and Dan, um, before they did fruit ninja and then all of a sudden they did fruit ninja. And now half brick is the guys that did fruit ninja. And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can still make games in Australia. Like that's, that's how you do it. So, so that was kind of the that was the kind of crux of it. You know, the GFC happens and in my mind I'm like, I could go and work for somebody else, but maybe I could find a way to work for myself and figure that out. So yeah. So Matt, how did you make the jump from art to then being a CEO and a producer? Um well I've been very lucky in that no one's told me that I shouldn't do those things. So, um, yeah, it's been a really, like, my career is very, very strange. Like, like I'm trained as a, as a classical photographer. Like, I got a photography degree before I started in the games industry. And, um, but then I was really into computers and I was really into 3D modeling. And then during my time in pandemic, I became very interested in data and, like, the data behind 3D modeling and then the optimizations of the way things worked and, then I became very interested in coding. So I sort of taught myself how to program and I, I did all these freelance jobs 
um, programming for advertising agencies and all this kind of stuff. And, um, and then I kind of decided I could just do this. And so I just moved to Melbourne and started a company and, um, I, I wasn't dumb enough to think I couldn't do it really. That was, the, <laughs> that's the, just a bit that's of the truth. foolhardy bravado, yeah. you just kind of pushed on, hey? Yeah, yeah. I mean, thinking about it, I probably shouldn't have, but <laughs> it, it's 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 worked out. So, you know, I think it's been fine. The moment you're kind of finding yourself in, like, right now is you're actually back in Brisbane. Uh, you're working yeah. remotely, uh, as a lot of people have been working. Um, what does it feel like to have to move your whole studio into, a, a, into an online platform and, and ship a game? Uh, to you know, to a, a bunch of people around the world, as everyone is trying to juggling bits of hardware and internet connections. Yeah. And how did that feel? Yeah. Oh, well, um, as everyone says, twenty twenty is an experience, and uh, we're we're all we're all moving through it. Um, it's been pretty weird. I'll I'll be perfectly honest with you. Um, like we're based in Melbourne, we have an office in Fitzroy, and um, we're just as hipster as it comes. Like you know, we have our own coffee machine and we're very snobby about it. Um, and, um, you know, we're sitting on this gigabit fiber connection that I spend a fortune to maintain. And then all of a sudden in March, Melbourne's shutting down, lockdown time, everybody go home, you know, COVID's everywhere. And so, yeah, we just instantly transitioned to figuring out how to be a remote working studio. And it's a shock. Like, it's, it's hard. It's very hard. And um, I would not recommend that everyone's first uh, first remote work game is a VR game, um, because yeah, you just we had this huge problem of um, hardware because we're a Mac store, like fundamentally everyone has a Mac, and then we've got to make an we've got to make a Quest game, but then it's got to run on the Rift and it's got to run on the Vive, and it's got to run all these things, and so we had this limited we had limited PCs, so it's like we had all these weird problems of like, like scarcity of hardware. In in a perfect world, everyone would have all their own stuff and it'd be fine. But um, in the in in a COVID world, there's just you know it, everything isn't quite where you want it to be, and not everyone has exactly what they need. So we had all these weird problems. Like the classic one was to make the trailer, we needed to get uh, Live working, which is a which is a plugin for mixed reality. And that only works uh, on Steam. And so there's only one guy in the, in the team that had a Vive who also had a webcam because not everybody had a webcam on a PC. So we couldn't actually, like, we needed a webcam to test it. So it turns out Matt DeLine happened to have all these things, but Matt DeLine wasn't working on Shooty. Gerard was working on Shooty. So Gerard had to call up Matt and basically, like, over the phone, explain to him how to set up this live studio to then like get screenshots so that we knew if it worked and um yeah it sucks like it's really hard <laughs> it's just just really difficult i will say that automation helps if the more you can automate stuff the the easier your life is and that's been a that's really been just this um a godsend for us like ben Britton, my you know co-founder of mighty he's uh he has this opinion that if you have to do something twice, you should just automate it. And um, so, yeah, we, we ended up, we, you know, half the company runs automate automatically. So we just have this incredible, um, we ended up having to build this incredible toolkit 
so that you can check something in and then builds appear on everyone's devices and you can sort of test stuff. But yeah, it's really hard. It's like, yeah, running a team remotely, it's, it's a pain as you'd know, mm. like maybe you don't, you're all in Perth. So, well, some of us are fine. in Perth, some of us were remote. Yeah. We were locked down at one point as well. And it is a challenge. And then everyone else also yeah. has everything else going on in their life at the same time, uh, which is a, yeah. a challenge as well. So I think it, being able to make anything yeah. this year, I think everyone deserves a, like a round of applause yeah. pretty much. Uh, it's, it's been a, a tricky year, but I reckon the art that's going to yeah. come out of 2020 is going to be phenomenal down the track. Uh, as people kind of get the, you know, as people get the opportunity yeah. to, sh to sh share it. Um, yeah. But yeah, Matt, I mean, I think, I, yeah. Oh no, please Sorry, continue. Oh, I was just, I was actually just thinking that like 2020 is going to be a very interesting year to look back on because like, I actually think, I actually think that the best stuff to come out of 2020 will be like hopeful, interesting things that are like quirky and made everybody laugh. Because, uh, you know, the, the, the truth of the world is just so depressing that you just need these hopeful, fun things. Whereas, like, you know, you know, you look at 2019 and, like, you know, Schnobel, like the HBO show, is probably the best thing they did. Or, or Watchmen. And it's just these are prescient, amazing things that are, like, infinitely depressing. And, you know, you get to 2020 and it's like, ah. Uh, I'd really just like to rewatch Gilmore Girls for a while because that's that's quite nice. It's just people being nice to each other. Let's watch that for a while. Yeah. So what sort of advice would you give Matt um, to an aspiring game developer in 2020? Look, it would actually be the exact same advice that I'd always give a game developer in that um, you just need to ship stuff because... Uh, that the game that you ship will be the worst game that you make. So you need to ship it out so you can make the next one. And and you just need to keep making things um, because eventually you'll make something good. And and that's 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 really how I've lived my entire life. It's like the goal is to keep make is to try to make something good. And and you you know you you, you ship something and all you see is all the stuff that wasn't there. Like you kind of see that all the pieces that you missed and the decisions that weren't that that didn't take you down those paths, and so you kind of look at it and you think, "Look, it's good, but could have been amazing." And even if people love it, you you can't view it with the same eyes. So, um, game development's a difficult business, but if you view it if you view it as a business and it's a business in the creative arts, um, like it's a very powerful fun fascinating life you know it's a it's, it's a it's a great it's a great life to live making games um but the trick there is like make stuff and ship it and get it out into the world and move on and just keep mm. just keep making and keep doing things that would be my that would be my advice oh well, that's absolutely something i think that we would agree with here and i'm sure a lot of other people would probably take a bit of solace in that as they're chipping away at their projects and getting to that point um now that's pretty much all we've got time for so if, if you're listening to this and you want to find out a bit more about shooty skies overdrive you can go to shootyskiesoverdrive.com uh, it's at shooty skies on twitter uh, it's out right now on the oculus store and coming to steam very soon on the 8th of august 
Uh, Matt, thank you so much. It's been a, a real pleasure to talk to you and to, to learn a little bit about the, the, your story and the, the story of, of Mighty Games and uh, how, you, how you kind of got to this point where you are right now. Oh, look, it's my pleasure. It's, it's uh, really nice to talk to you guys. It's been great. I feel very privileged to be here on the 150th episode. Like that's a huge achievement. You should be really proud of that. Oh, that's thank awesome. you. It's one we're going to remember for a long time, and one we'll hold up uh, as uh, in esteem. <laughs> um, now, the team, and, and like anything with creative, it's all about the team. And Pixel Sift is produced by Scott Quigg, Sarah Island, uh, Fiona Bartholomeus, Mitch Lowe, Daniel Ang, Adam Christou. And my name is Gianni Giovanni. I'm the executive producer. And we wouldn't have been able to make 150 episodes if one, people didn't listen to what we made and enjoyed it. Um, and we didn't have the support of Murdoch University as well. Um, so go check them out. Tell them that we sent you. If you're keen to learn more about a great creative degree, uh, head to murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts. And you can also come join us on Discord if you want. We'd love to have you there. You can join us on pixelsif.com.au forward slash Discord. And you can share your creative work, what you've been watching, what you've been doing, talk about different topics, games, and everything else. That, again, was pixelsif.com.au forward slash Discord. And if you like what we do, can we ask you a favour? We need your help to share the show. So tell a friend, subscribe your brothers and sisters, start someone's journey into podcasts because we know it's hard, a bit tricky trying to get in there, but once you're in there, you won't want to leave. You'll love it too much. That's all we have time for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you, Matt, for being a part of this. Thank you, Fiona. Thank you, everyone, for 150 episodes of Pixel Sift. We will catch you all next time. See ya. See ya. <laughs>